Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you are encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from Pastor Kevin Miller. Aftermath series finale, and and what we've been learning about in this series is kind of like life and ministry in the aftermath of destruction. And we, we, you know, we kind of timed this around the season that our world is in, but we're also praying that it's much bigger than that. We don't want this to just be for a, a, a season of six weeks during a pandemic, but I, I would love for five years down the road, people to be able to watch this message online, this series online, and God would use it in the, in the aftermath of a divorce or a, a, a loss, uh, you know, a, a diagnosis, whatever it might be. And I, I just, I know that God is, is using this in that way in so many people's lives. It's led to a lot of really great conversations. The first three weeks was kind of all about the church and what's going to look different as we move forward and what are our priorities. But these last three weeks of the series have been about the best ongoing care that we can provide. Um, as you guys are aware, after a tornado blows through a community, Long after the headlines have reported on that and the news crews have moved in and come and gone, there's still a lot of ongoing care that's required in that community. And we just believe that the church exists to provide ongoing care for the rest of time before heaven kicks in. We just believe that the church is a vital part of God, God's desire to reach the earth with the gospel. And the best ongoing care we can provide is leading people to develop a deepening relationship with God. We need that ongoing care, a deepening relationship with God. But here's the title of the message today. Would you write it down? You need more than God. And somebody's like, we came to a heretics church, okay? Now listen, I'm not talking about you need more than God for eternal life. We, we covered this over the last couple of weeks. The gospel is scandalously simple, L- literally A, B, C, admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, confess it, and you're saved, Romans 10, 9. It's it's scandalously simple. Okay, so I am not saying you need more than God for salvation. What I am saying is that we get eternal life from God, but we experience a full purposeful life with God's people. There's so, so much that we get from each other that we miss out when we live in isolation. Now, I know the argument. I imagine maybe some of you have said this before. Or you've had a friend that said this, like you invited them to church, and they're like, oh, I don't need a church. I'm already a Christian. I got a relationship with God. I don't need a church to go to heaven, right? Somebody said that. None of us here, I'm sure. But you've heard somebody say that. I don't need church to go to heaven, which in one sense is true. You don't get heaven based on your church attendance. You're not earning anything from God by if you went to church a certain amount of time. And, and walking into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into a Starbucks makes you a Frappuccino, right? It doesn't work that way. Just because you're on campus or just because you clicked a link and you're watching online or you're in a watch party doesn't make you a Christian or, or earning heaven. That's not how this works. But we miss out on, here's where I'm going with, with this message today, we miss out almost entirely on what God has called us and gifted us for when we live our lives in isolation and push people out. You may get to heaven, but have you wasted your life before you got there? 
It's so important, and especially, I would say, in the age that we're living in where we're so divided and we're living life behind a screen on our phone or on a computer. And we're thankful for technology to keep us connected, but we need each other. And today, ultimately, is a warning about the danger of isolation, and it's an invitation to let people in. That's ultimately what this is all about. So if you've ever found yourself, by the way, we're in John chapter 20. I forget if I mentioned that or not. Um, if you brought a Bible, uh, you can turn there or follow along on a, on a smartphone. Um, but if you've ever found yourself in a place of trauma or loss, destruction, devastation, if you haven't, you will. That's just kind of an inevitable part of life. If you've ever found yourself there, John chapter 20 puts you in really good company. For us, we may find ourselves in the aftermath of coronavirus In the scene in John chapter 20, they find themselves in the aftermath of the crucifixion of Jesus. And they haven't yet gotten to the joyous part of the resurrection. In fact, they're about to stumble upon the empty tomb, which, as a reminder, is a point of celebration for us 2,000 years later. But for them in this scene, it was a point of questions and confusion and frustration. Not only did they kill Jesus, but now when Mary arrives on the scene, where is he? What's going on? John chapter 20, verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This was a devastating thing for her to see. She already had questions. She was already grieving. And now... There's more questions on top of what she's going through. I got three thoughts for you today. Would you write this down? Number one, pain is inevitable, but isolation is a choice. Unfortunately, pain is just part of life. And so we we need to just learn to embrace that, learn to understand that life will disappoint, there will be loss, there will be tragedy. And so when... When life hits, when pain and frustration confronts us, we have a a question. We have a decision to make. Am I going to isolate or am I going to invite somebody into this with me? Am I going to just sit and sulk or am I going to reach out and invite people in? And thankfully, when, when Mary stumbled upon the tomb that she was about to find was empty. The stone is rolled away. She has all these questions. She chose wisely. Look at John chapter 20, verse 2. She ran and went to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Which, by the way, so, so she goes and she gets Simon, Peter, and then it says that she got the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which, by the way, is John, who's writing the book which I love that John put that in there, the disciple that, the, you know, the one that Jesus loved, you know. And, and I, I always kind of I, I laugh when I read that, but then listen, I, I hope you're encouraged by this. John knew Jesus enough that he knew he could say that about himself. And I, I, I hope that you know Jesus enough that you could say that about you. I'm the one Jesus loves. I'm not the only one. God loved the whole world, right? But I am the one that Jesus loved. I think we need to personalize God's love. It's not just God loves the whole world. God loves me. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. That's good, right? So John, John, 
He doesn't even refer to himself by name. He just calls himself the one that Jesus, the one that God loved. And so Mary went and got Peter and John because instead of folding inwardly, she decided to reach out. And then Peter, watch what Peter does. Verse 3, Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. So Peter also got John, and they went together. And by the way, if you want a picture of Christian community, what it looks like to be in relationship with other Christians, I think verse 4 is so beautiful. Both of them were running together, it says. I love this. And then, of course, John has to throw in a humble brag. He goes, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> just want to throw that out there. The disciple that Jesus loved, was, he just was faster than Peter. Peter hadn't been training as much as the disciple that Jesus loved. When Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved went on a race, the, the disciple that Jesus loved went faster. He got there first. Anyway, and he, and he gets off topic a little bit, but, but I love this picture because here's, here's what this is. Verse 5, verse 8, and verse 11 all mention that Mary, at different times, Mary and Peter and John got to the tomb, and it says that they stooped in to look. The, the openings of, a, of an ancient tomb like this were only three or four feet tall. When we've toured Israel before, we, we've gotten to step into what they believe is Jesus' garden tomb. And we checked, and he's not there. It is, in fact, empty. And you do have to stoop. The, the openings are only three or four feet tall. So when they got there, they had to kind of stoop down and, and, and look in, step in. And I think this is a beautiful picture of Christian community that they had questions and doubt, and so they invited their friends in, and they ran together to the place of question and doubt and frustration, and then they took some time to stoop in and look in and figure out what was going on. Now, now here's the other, here's the full picture. Verse 9 says that they still didn't even understand the scripture about the resurrection, and verse 10 says that Peter and John went home. They didn't even solve it. All they did was get to the tomb, see that the body was gone, have the same questions as Mary, and they weren't ever actually in the scene able to solve what had happened. So I think it's, that's an important full picture of Christian community. Because listen, I want you to understand this. Well, just because you invite somebody into your struggle, your frustration, your pain, your questions, doesn't mean that God's people are always going to be able to step in and immediately solve your problems. That's what we want, isn't it? We want somebody to just like to, to ask them to step in and then they tell us, they give us the right verse. They had, God had a dream that, that he gave them and it spoke to you. We, we want it to be so easy to solve our problems, but there's going to be plenty of times in life where you go home and you still have all the same questions. But here's the good news. At least you have somebody else asking the questions with you. And at least you've got a crew who will run with you to the scene and stoop down and begin to look into the things that you're dealing with. We all need a Peter and a John and a Mary in our lives that will help us bear the weight. Life is too much to carry on its own. And so we need to invite others in, even if they can't solve all your problems. Now, hours later, we've we got to fast forward a little bit through the scene. Um, so verse 10, the disciples go back to their homes. Verse 11, 
right after that, Mary has this actually interaction with the risen Christ. Peter and John missed it because they went home so early. Mary stayed in the garden. She was weeping. Jesus shows up. Eventually, she, he tells her, go, go and tell the other guys. And so hours later, the other disciples, they haven't seen Jesus. They've still got their questions. Now what's been added to their questions is fear. We meet up with them in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. So we started on Sunday morning. Now we're on Sunday night. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That's an understatement, right? Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Here's a second thought. Would you write this down? Life's full purpose is experienced with God's people. We need other people. We need the church. We need other Christians in our lives to fully experience the life that God has called us to. And, and by the way, they're, they're in the, this, this room, this upper room. They didn't show up that night for a Bible study, okay? In fact, it says that they had locked the doors and they were up there for fear of the Jews, they locked the downstairs, they locked the upstairs, they locked the closets, they locked the, they're like, I mean, because think about it, put yourself in their shoes. If, if the Jews killed their leader, surely they're coming after them, right? So these guys are terrified. And not only now is there the bad news of the crucifixion, now they don't even know where his body is. The tomb's empty, which again is, for us, we celebrate that at Easter. They hadn't yet figured out that that's even good news. So they're freaking out. But you know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't just speak to us from a distance. But listen, our God is not afraid of the things that make us afraid. And he is willing to step right into the scene. And the first words out of his mouth very well could have been justified as a rebuke toward them. I told you, right? Jesus could have said that. No, what did he say? Peace. In the middle of their fear, they've got the doors locked. They're trying to figure out how are we going to make it out alive? Jesus shows up and he brings peace because he is the prince of peace. It's what he does. And so here he is on this scene. And, and, and the presence of Jesus ushers in a couple things. You got to see this. Three things. Peace, verse 19. In fact, he says it twice. Verse 19 and verse 21, peace be with you. And then in verse 21, he gives him purpose. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He goes, you guys can't just huddle up. You need to spread out. I'm sending you out. And then he says in verse 22, he's given them power. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Because he knew that the calling that was on their lives was so much bigger than something they could pull off on their own. And I believe it is so significant not only that Jesus gave all of these gifts to them, but he gave them to them in a group setting. 
It's not that he couldn't have done it one-on-one. He already had an experience with Mary Magdalene at the tomb, just he and her. And she was there lingering, and he appeared to her. But I think there's something powerful about the fact that when the Holy Spirit was given, like in this scene and in Acts chapter 2, that it happened in a group setting. Because so much of what God has called you and I to has to do with one another. God's power is best experienced within a group. It kind of makes sense, in fact, if you think about it. Think about the New Testament. You might, you, if, as you read through the New Testament, what you'll find, you should keep track of this, by the way, there are 101 times that the phrase one another is mentioned. 101 times in 91 verses. And almost half of those are coupled with a command about how we are to relate to one another. So this whole argument about, I don't need the church to go to heaven. No, I don't need Christians in my life. That whole argument to me is is based on selfishness that just doesn't want people in their lives. Because when I read the New Testament, I read dozens and dozens of things that I can never fulfill if I am living in isolation. How am I going to love one another if I don't have another one in my life? How am I going to forgive one another if I don't have another one in my life, right? Every, we say every one needs another. If you're going to fulfill the life that God has called you to, yes, you need God, but you need God's people too. Some of the best ongoing care that we can provide as a church is not only preaching the gospel and giving people an opportunity to respond, but, but then saying, now that you have God, you need God's people in your life. And we have structure and we have way, ways for you to get involved with community because you can't just sit in a chair and then go home and be isolated from, from the rest of the body of Christ for the next six days. We need each other in each other's lives, and it's significant that they receive these commands and the the peace and the purpose and the power in a group setting. Our purpose is experienced with and through God's people. But somebody's probably still not sold yet. Come on, Josh, you know how it is. So, sometimes we got to learn from somebody's mistake. So there's one more disciple who wasn't yet sold on this whole, like, I didn't want to go to the Awaken group that night, all right? I wasn't, I, I, he's, he's kind of spiraling off on his own. His name's Thomas. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Listen, it was a hard week for Thomas. The kids were going crazy. He couldn't find a babysitter. He was like, the last thing I need to do is show up to my awakening group tonight. I just need to, I need some time. I need some me time. That's what Thomas said. I need some me time. Glass of red wine, a bubble bath. I just need to, like, Thomas. I don't know if Thomas was into that, but. But watch this. Thankfully, Thomas has some good friends. Verse 25, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, watch this, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. In fact, 
when he spoke it, he was so emphatic with the words that he used. He, when, he, when he says, I will never believe, it literally in the original language means, I will never, no, never believe. He goes, absolutely not. You did not see Jesus. I believe in that until I literally, physically touch him. Where's he at? Now listen, Thomas is hurting. Thomas is spiraling in doubt and depression. Let me tell you something about doubt and depression. This is number three. Would you write it down? Doubt and depression thrive in the darkness of isolation. Let, let, me, let me say it another way. Doubt and depression are parasites that suck the life out of an isolated soul. Because here's why I say this. Thomas wasn't always doubting Thomas. He gets a really bad rap in the New Testament. This phrase, doubting Thomas, comes from John chapter 20, where Thomas goes, there's no way. Never, no, never will I, will I believe that. He gets, he gets written down in the history books as doubting Thomas. But can I remind you of who Thomas actually was earlier on? Just rewind nine chapters to John chapter 11, and it's the scene of Jesus about to go raise Lazarus, and, and they have to go back to Bethany where, where Lazarus was, and, and the disciples are like, Jesus, they just tried to kill you over there. And Jesus goes, but I got to get there to be with Lazarus. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, he goes, well, if you're going to go, then I'm going to go and die with you. That's the Thomas I know. That's the Thomas who is a man of faith. But listen, here's what happens. Isolation attacks us and begins to erode our faith over time. And the, and the man or the woman of God that you used to be becomes incomparable to who you are in the darkness. And so when we isolate ourselves, it becomes very dangerous. Now, let, let, me, let me clarify what's happening here. It's not that in isolation, you're not yourself. Actually, the problem is the opposite. In isolation, you're more of yourself. That's the problem. The problem is when we push others out and we fake it and we stop inviting people in, we become so consumed with our problems and our pain and our world and our problems get so big and we lose sight of, of everything else. We become the center of our universe, and we, we just live in this downward spiral of isolation, depression, doubt. We start doubting things and saying negative things against the very things that are our anchor. Like Thomas knew this, but he just goes, there's no way. There's no way. Proverbs 18.1 warns about this. The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. Let me, let me put that into 2020 terms. You push everybody out, you're stupid and selfish. We, the man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. We focus on ourselves. We're selfish. And you rage against all wise judgment. It's foolish to push people out. We need people. There's, there's, God has built us for this. Thomas had pushed him out. Thankfully, he has friends that speak up. But Thomas, listen, man, we've seen the Lord. Come on. I need some people in my life who when I'm 
I'm spiraling out a little bit, and I'm in a pity party. Somebody goes, hey, but Kevin, come on. Jesus is alive. The tomb's empty, and that's a good thing. We're still celebrating. 2,000 years later, we're throwing a party all the time because Jesus is alive. I need some people in my life who will help me gain this eternal perspective. Thankfully, Thomas had it. And, and these friends speak up, but, but Thomas, we've seen Jesus. And, and he's hesitant. He doesn't want to hear it. But then there's an experience that happens. And wouldn't you believe it? It happened in a group setting. Verse 26. Eight days later. And isn't that like God, by the way? To let us sulk a little while? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas, this time, showed up to the awakened group. Wasn't that nice of him? (laughs) Now, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the first week, they locked the doors a little early, and so he was banging on the door, and they couldn't, I don't know. But this time, he made it. And here's Jesus again. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, same thing that he does all the time when he shows up in your pain. He doesn't rebuke you for a lack of faith. He doesn't show up and and say, what a terrible person you are. You're lucky I'm here. He doesn't, there's none of that. He goes, ah, peace. Breathe. It's okay. In the middle of whatever's freaking you out. I'm here. Peace be with you. And then I love Jesus because he just, he speaks exactly what Thomas needed. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve. Believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. This is a turning point in Thomas's life. So listen, since depression and doubt thrive in the darkness of isolation, the solution is expose them to light. Who's the light? Jesus is the light. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you're the light of the world, all of his followers. The Bible says in Psalm 119 that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So what's the solution to the darkness of depression? you got to let some light into your life. You need God, you need God's people, and you need God's word. That's it. That's the, that's the hope. So like if you are right now buried in a Thomas moment, like there's no way, I'll never believe, you need to expose that darkness in your life to some light. Let God in. Let God's people in. Get into God's word. I promise you, it'll change you. We need God, and we need his people. And we're living in a time where we are, are more physically distant than ever before. I hate the phrase socially distant. I know it's kind of like just gotten pushed on us. But we need socialization more than ever before. I understand we need some physical distance. I, I get that. But we're living in an age where we really need connection. We, we're, we're, all of us are feeling the need more than ever. And by the way, I think if you've ever wondered about what an awakening group looks like, I think that John chapter 20 is such a beautiful picture of it. First of all, it's a group of guys who just like get together they, they, and they run to the place of pain and they ask questions and they try to work it out, right? 
But in the upper room, here's what they do. They get together a couple times, and they, these are people who have experienced Jesus, and they're working out life's questions together. Like if I summed up awakened groups, there it is in John chapter 20. We're people who we don't have it all together, and we know the scriptures, and we know the truth, but sometimes we struggle, and we've got some skeptics, and that's okay. We've experienced Jesus. Jesus is alive. We're going to get together, and we're just going to kind of try to, like, work out life's questions together. That's awakening groups right there. And so we, we need this connection, and we have people who are, are, are so disconnected right now that it's, it's getting to a point that it's dangerous. You know, of course, we're thankful for technology that can broadcast the gospel, keep us connected as, as we're able, social media and live streams and all that. You know, Amazon has changed the game for online, online shopping, and so many big chain stores are now going out of business because everything's moving online. But the, listen, the church can never fully move online right? Like we're going to broadcast the gospel until Jesus comes back. And we're going to take digitally, we're going to take the gospel to every nook and cranny of the earth we can get it into. But there will never be a full, a full replacement of having somebody physically in your life. We can't ever fully move online. There are some cool ways to stay connected. Jen and I got to speak for a church in New York just uh, a week or so ago, and we recorded a message here in Clarksville, and it played in New York. We got to actually join their community group via Zoom with people from Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx, and it was awesome. We had a great time. But technology can only take us so far with our connection. Social media can only take us so far, right? Like you can have a 1,000 Facebook friends and not have any real friends. You can have hundreds of Instagram followers, and all they see, let's be honest, is your edited, filtered, highlight reel of your life. Because real you doesn't make it onto social media most of the time. I'm not saying technology is the problem here. It just lends to the problem. Our problem is isolation. Our problem is I want to put on a front and make myself look okay I don't need people. What I'm here to tell you is you absolutely need people in your life. You need God, but you need God's people. I think Mary and Peter and John and Thomas, and they're they're representing this to us right now. Let, Let me say it a different way. God gives us eternal life, but God's people help us experience a full purposeful life. Like we're, like we're meant to live. Or here's another way. God saves us from hell. God's people help us stop living like hell. Right? Come on. Like, like instead of spiraling out into depression and darkness because that's where we're headed if we push people out, God's people step in and say, no, but, but Jesus, we've seen Jesus. We've experienced Jesus. And they get us back together with the group, and they go, come on in. Like, come on in. Let's, let's experience. We don't have all the questions either. Peter and John left the tomb with more questions than they came with, but they helped Mary carry the weight. 
when you get together in your awakening group, in, in your watch party, whatever your, your small group community may look like, you may go home with more questions that you came with, but at least you've got more shoulders to carry the weight. We need God, but we need God's people. I think some of the best ongoing care that the church can provide is the structure that will lead toward that. Jesus is the starting line, but the church is your running partners. We're the ones who go, who, who go to, to the place of frustration and pain together. And we stoop in and we take the time to investigate and we just figure out how can we be there with each other. And when one of us is doubting, hopefully the rest of us can bring them along. We've seen We've seen Jesus. We don't have it all put together. We're all in process. We're making progress. We'll get there one day. But man, until then, I need somebody, you need somebody to run alongside you. We're in this together. Amen? So I'm going to pray for us. And then here's what I'm going to do. Today, typically what I would do is I would would give you an invitation. I would have you raise your hand and I would lead you in a prayer and and that's great. And, but today, I, I think what I'd rather do is leave the burden of stepping out on your shoulders. Because I think that, I think that it's important that you feel the heaviness, the necessity to not just do what you're tempted to do and log out of the live stream or leave campus on your own without having any conversation. We're all going to be tempted to do that. And today is a unique opportunity, Awaken Group's launch day, for us to invite some other people into our lives. And for some of you, you need to have a conversation with somebody that, that you're like, man, I, I don't even think I know God. Would you help me with that? You don't, come on, don't wait around until you have all the right words. Find, find one of us, any of us, pastors, any of our, our people at the Awakened Groups tents outside. Uh, if you're joining us online, put it in the chat right now that you, you need to find God. Just put it in your own words. Just say it. You've got to invite somebody in. But then there's a bunch of Christians here and, and online as well that need to invite God's people into their lives. You're not giving your life to a church. You're becoming a part of the church globally. We're in this together. We get to hang out with billions and trillions of Christians for the rest of eternity. And we're trying to make life the best it can be here. Shouldering each other's weight, running together toward the destination. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.